Have you ever found yourself after a game of D&D debating over a particular rule that came up and trying to figure out, as a group, how to break it? As a DM, do you get that feeling of dread when your player asks, if you look at it this way? Well, we decided to turn that into a podcast. A group of DMs come together every episode as we discuss how rules is written, we can figure out how to maximize what we can do with a rule, and how we can use other rules to break the game. Each episode, we will be joined by a guest, including DMs from some of our favorite podcasts, and get a sneak peek behind the DM screen from some of our favorite shows as they share their own thoughts and experiences on a particular rule and how it has affected their games. Please feel free to jump in on our discussions by leaving us a comment on Podbean, iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher, or feel free to email me at dm at dndraw.com, or send us a tweet to at rules as written and let us know how the rule may have come up during one of your games or how you figured out a way to break the game that we didn't discuss so thanks for joining us hey everyone i'm tony hi this is bethany hey this is rachel my name is joshua c mcmahon We are going to be going over metagaming this week. So, uh, I have the little paragraph up on the guidelines on metagame thinking from the DMG, and I believe this is all the DMG says about it. They say, metagame thinking means thinking about the game as a game. It's like when a character in a movie knows it's a movie and acts accordingly. For example, a player might say, the DM wouldn't throw such a powerful monster at us. Or you might uh. hear, the read aloud text spent a long time describing that door. Let's search it again. Discourage metagame thinking by giving players a gentle reminder. What do your characters think? You could curb metagame thinking by setting up situations that will be difficult for the characters and that might require negotiation or retreat to survive. I don't understand this at all. (laughs) I don't think it's really solving the problem of metagame thinking by saying, I'm going to challenge you guys. It seems to be completely unrelated. <laughs> that last bit just makes me think, no, 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 the DM will send a monster this powerful at you. <laughs> just to spite you. So, so just retreat saying, to survive. So they're saying, to prevent people from metagame thinking, punish them. <laughs> is, is, that, is that what your understanding is? <laughs> the lich is going to give you all a spanking now. Oh. Behave. <laughs> oh, well. No, no, just a cloud kill. It's fine. So... I, I actually had uh, an experience with this. The first, I haven't really DM'd any games except for one in particular, um, just to kind of get some experience and to see from the other side of the of the screen, so to speak, what that experience would be like. And I remember the opening scene for a whole bunch of level one characters having a rock fly overhead and scare them. And I remember my roommate looked at me like, "Josh, this is a rock. <laughs> you know how CRs work. Is this safe? Are we good?" <laughs> Is this okay? <laughs> Less in a metagamey more way and more like, this is your first time, bro. Please, let's not fight a rock today. Please. <laughs> Don't murder us right <laughs> off the bat. <laughs> yeah. So, it should be entertaining. Well, hold on. I think we need some explanation. What was the story with the rock? I'm really curious now. Oh, yeah. So, um, the rock was a plot device for, uh, not to say that this game, I knew it wouldn't go on any further. But it was one of those like, oh, here's a creature you'll eventually have to go kill. Oh. And to be honest, at the time, I think I was playing a whole bunch of Wind Waker. So I kind of just pulled the intro from Wind Waker. <laughs> we should also clarify that that's rock, R-O-C dot R-O-C-K. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for half a second, I was like, did he mean a rock across? No, no, he meant a rock. No, the no, bird. No, okay. Rock. The bird. The, the giant and bird. also not a giant rock, <laughs> as in a boulder. 
Yeah. Yeah, or Wayne the Rock Johnson. <laughs> that that would be terrifying if that flew overhead. So we have <laughs> yes, yes. Side note: we have a Dwayne the Rock Johnson in our Monday night game. It is actually uh, a rock. It, it's a literal rock that our party carries uh, around that my character casts light on. Oh, that kind of plays into some of the metagaming stuff I was talking so about. Bad. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, no pop culture references in the game, and then you know, then Chris builds. You know, Sai. Alphonse. One Punch Man. <laughs> <Saitama>. <laughs> yeah. Any names, Alphonse? <laughs> yeah. So, Josh, did you want to start off since you have uh, you you have thoughts? Well, first off, I guess we should kind of clarify. Um, obviously, the book has this little paragraph about metagaming. It's very helpful. But that's pretty much all it says. So there's not really any kind of structure here to assist players officially with how to deal with metagaming. And I think it, it, it really depends on the kind of campaign you're running and the kind of people you're running it with of what constitutes metagaming and what doesn't. Mm. So it sounds like for, for you, Bethany, that, that having those um, breaking the fourth wall kind of elements, that is already kind of something that you don't well, like. Well, it, it is by definition meta because it's it's self-referential in the sense that, yes, this is a game we're playing. It's not coming from within the world. So I try to I'm trying to be more tolerant of that, but I'm kind of like, can't we just enjoy the world we're we're in because we're already in the real world. We're not playing the game in the real world for a reason. Because right, you know that wouldn't be very fun. We don't have dragons. Yeah, we don't whole- have dragons. <laughs> no dragons. Yeah. But uh, yeah. So I mean, some people limit metagaming and to sort of really apply to those instances where players or characters use player knowledge, something that's outside of the world of the game. But I'd say it's when things from outside of the world of the game come into the game in, in any sense, kind of keep it pretty broad. Okay. Yeah, because I would define metagaming a bit more of, of using external knowledge to to gain some sort of an upper hand or to make sure that, that things go your way. One of the things that kept plaguing one of my games once was when one of the other player characters would steal from the party in a sort of fun-loving, jokey kind of way. <laughs> hilarious. Yeah, in one of those hilarious... No, no, you're not getting it back. Yeah, in one of those kinds of like, okay, this is this is, this was cute the first time, but it's like five times in, now I'm going to kill you. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Stop it, please, because I'm not making these perception checks, so I can't confront you in the game, so outside of the game, stop it. <laughs> But that was one of the things that had come up is because my character in the game was unable to make those checks and know that this was happening. Outside of the game, that became its own narrative. And so within the rules of the game, like it, metagaming for that would have been to call out that player, even though there's no way to have known that he had stolen from you or to know where your money had gone, in fact. It, it would have just disappeared. You would not have been able to remember where it went. Just like in real life, if someone steals from you, it's like, I don't know where that went. <laughs> so yep. that can be really tough and can create some divides. So I was talking with Tony earlier that I kind of feel like there's an underlying, like, necessary metagame to the game, at least for it to, for the game to run the way I want it to run as a player and as a DM, which is you all as players have to pretty much decide we're going to work together towards a common goal and unless there's some sort of you're in a scenario where you understand that betrayal is possible or someone's going to play an evil character or something like that i feel like you guys are understanding you're working together um so that definitely i think does inform your character actions because you guys know as players that you're supposed to work together so you don't necessarily split up all the time when maybe as characters they wouldn't all hang together at every moment but as players, you know, that makes the most sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Also, mm-hmm. like when you have a new player character coming in, you're like, wow, we just met this guy. I like him. He seems legit. I think he should join our group. Yeah. <laughs> like, he should adventure with us because you know it's a player character and not another NPC. To be fair, you also do try to recruit NPCs. So, it's kind of, <laughs> it's kind of different. Um, and, and generally this, uh, understanding that the characters are, aren't going to be at odds in their overall goals. Like, I know in Tony's game, our characters do prank each other. But it's all harmless, and it's not to actually put them at odds so that no. they're angry with each other or there's any sort of mistrust. Because I think as players, that kind of – it's frustrating. Because I know that happened in my game with uh, with a player we had who was playing a rogue and who constantly uh, stole things and made bad judgment calls. And then Rachel, when your character called him out on it, he's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Hold on, as a player, you don't, you know, your character doesn't know that I stole stuff. You never caught me, so you can't question my judgment. Um, it basically accused you of metagaming. Mm-hmm. Except his character had actually made bad decisions. Yeah, that jeopardized us. That was the actual problem. Um, his character had recently, like, gotten a curse because he wanted a, a giant gem. And actually, the underlying problem was that he wasn't acting in the best interests of the group because he as a player had lost interest in that. So I think the accusations of metagaming were really symptomatic of an underlying problem of not all the players were on the same page working together. And I think that was frustrating for everyone. And for me as DM, because I'm like, I want you guys to work together and have fun. You don't all have to agree on everything all the time. But for you to at least be heading in the same direction and caring about defeating elemental evil or whatever the story is at the time. Yeah. So I'd say mm. to some extent, you have to have a metagame. Otherwise, the game doesn't work. You guys might be like, yeah, I mean, we just met this guy. I know he's a player character as a player. But as a character, yeah, let's just let him go about his life. <laughs> Why do we have to bring him along? Let's just move on. <laughs> I think that was one of the toughest things that we ever had facing any of the games that, that I've ever played was whenever a new character was introduced or whenever whenever a new player wanted to play a new character, too, and having their old character leave, like, that transition was always kind of rough because of having them fit within that plot. Especially, I remember one campaign where it was very centered around government, and we knew the king, and we had been sort of advising him on certain matters and looking into things. And But you can't just include somebody when you're working for, you know... The government of, oh yeah, we've got that, we found this guy, he seems pretty legit, let's have him <laughs> let's come along too now. Uh, no. Yeah, yeah, no, 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 I know he's a player character, he's gotta stick around. Like, <laughs> yeah. But, and I know it can be kinda awkward, I think really you just, the DM has to really help in that sort of situation with how the character's introduced. Yes. The DM, I do feel, needs to come up with a story and a reasoning for why the character would be going along the same path as the party. Yeah. Like when we met uh, Autumn, Tony, in your game, because she was being attacked by uh, Chasm Demons, and we went in to rescue her, and then she happened to be going where we were going, so we were just journeying together at first. It just made sense, like, well, yeah, I mean, there's you, you, you incited her to make sure what she was saying was legitimate, but once you determine that, you're like, okay, we can at least travel together till we get there. Yeah, there was there was something that Pathfinder actually invented for this kind of a thing, because this has been a struggle for all sorts of different games with this kind of style for a long time, um, having characters come and go, or even having individual characters disappear for a session or two because they're busy with other life things, they can't make it to a session, which was something called the Scar of Destiny. I kind of like the idea about it 
especially if you're running a more casual campaign. Um, obviously, for our games, we have prefer- like very good attendance, so there's not really an issue with this sort of thing. I'm so proud of you guys. Yay. <laughs> it's really <Yeah>. good. <laughs> we try. Um, but the Scar of Destiny is something that's really, really cool. I'll just read the uh, description here. And again, this is for Pathfinder. But this scar appears on specific individuals at birth or as a result of powerful but unexplained magical confluences. Anyone with this mark is untethered from reality and might step out of existence at any moment for indeterminate periods, possibly forever. All of the individual's possessions vanish with him, though occasionally specific items, seemingly of the mark bearer's choosing, are left behind. (laughs) When and if an individual reappears, he is left unharmed and has no knowledge of where he was, only a vague idea of how much time has passed. Such individuals typically reappear near others who bear the mark. So the purpose of this Scar of Destiny is to give all of the player characters this mark. And that gives you a narrative reason of why they disappear when they're not at the table or why they disappear forever if they happen to leave the game or something like that. And for more casual play, that ends up being a really, really easy way of just, oh, they just disappeared and you know this is due to the mark. And it it can make it really, really simple to kind of pop people in and out of existence for that reason. So what are your thoughts on this? I think it definitely makes sense with the sort of game where uh, things are pretty casual. I think if I was to implement that in the campaign you guys are in, your characters would become extremely neurotic and have terrible separation anxiety. <laughs> because overall, you're a pretty clingy bunch, which we are. works great. But you're no, like, we stick together, and we've done it ever since uh, Ash was dropped from a tower. Which uh, I think that actually was a good solution for the kind of enforcing the metagame of the party sticks together because yeah. the time you didn't, Ash got thrown off a tower. <laughs> I what? Yeah. I don't yeah. I don't remember. You guys this. are like, oh yeah, sticking together is a great idea. That way we'll be there if someone gets thrown off a tower, not like downstairs checking out chests under beds. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't a thing. <laughs> what? <Yeah>. No. <laughs> no. So anyways, that was sort of my take on the part of metagaming where I don't think all metagaming is evil. I think it, it actually can be good, in a sense, because we are playing a game together. It's something we're doing collaboratively, at least in my opinion. I know some people like the idea of like playing an evil character and surprising the party. Um if I knew that that was a possibility, like uh, Tony's floated the idea of doing like a one-off session where you know someone in the party is evil, but nobody knows who. Okay. <laughs> See, I think that could be fun because, of course, then all the players would be paranoid. But if I were in a long-running campaign and I found out that a, a character that I've been working with all this time was evil, I, as a player, would feel pretty betrayed. <laughs> yeah. Kind of like, I thought we were actually like playing this game together, not like, you know, doing it to torment each other. Being secretive outside of the game with that, I feel, would be it would be a big problem. And it's it's God, it's such a struggle though, because there's been instances in Critical Role where there's some background stuff from the players that have come up that no one else had known. That was like a legitimate surprise to the the human beings playing that game. Backstory stuff that they had no idea that their play the other characters had, and that can make a really interesting narrative thing, but. I do understand there's a difference between that and having well, an evil character. One yeah. thing I will mention is while they do have interesting backstory stuff that will surprise uh, the other players, 
it's never been something that has been fully at odds with the other players. Yeah, it's, it's yeah, not something yeah. harmful. Like, uh, in Tony's game, uh, my character was secretly married, and then you guys found out, and you're like, what? Who's this guy? So yeah. it was a surprise, but it wasn't something that I was like, haha, and now he's come to kill you all. Like, it, <laughs> yeah. and now he's here to murder you. Yeah, it, it wasn't Not that you know of anyway. It was something that was against the interests of the group. I think that's really what it is. That that makes sense. I would be pretty betrayed if Ara suddenly was like, "Oh, I'm actually an evil drow," <laughs> and stabs everyone. Such so. good deception checks all game. I was leading you guys into this trap, so good job. You're yeah. all dead now. I think yeah. you would have a problem yeah. with me as a player. You'd be like, "Really? All this time? Like, kind of ruins everything." <laughs> yeah, no, I do agree that, that there is a difference between pretending to be an evil character or being a good character the whole time and actually being evil and just straight up lying to your fellow fun-loving humans around you. It's when you're lying to the players about this that I feel like there would be a big problem. Yeah. Yeah. I I think D&D should be played with friends, and ideally you stay friends (laughs) as you're playing the game. What? That's an awful Yeah. Yeah. And ultimately it's a game, and you're supposed to have fun. It's a game. Uh, Rachel actually put together a lot of notes kind of on, like, points to address with metagaming. You want to go through those questions you had? Uh, which which ones? <laughs> oh, I guess. Well, we covered kind of what is metagaming. Yeah. Um, I actually did put it here because I have people do this, like, what's metagaming and what's straight up cheating? <laughs> <laughs> which would be like reading the module ahead of time and not telling anyone or trying to get a peek at what the DM is doing on the side on the other side of the screen. Yeah. Yeah, that's that stuff's obviously more cheating. Yeah, cheating. Yeah. Yeah, and I I kind of had the question, why do people hate metagaming? What does it really take away from the game? Cuz according to some people it doesn't take away anything. Of course it depends I think on what's happening, but overall mm-hmm. I'd say if you if you go off the deep end and you're just totally outside of the game as players, you're not in the story. And I feel like then you're just sort of involved in these mechanics of the game and you're not working together to develop this story, which I, I think is one of the things I really love about D&D. Yeah. I agree. Because ultimately you can get combat and you can get adventure from any kind of video game or any other kind of board game and, and other things like that. But I think the strength in Dungeons & Dragons lies in the fact that you are telling a narrative and working together cooperatively mm-hmm. with a with a dungeon master who helps write this narrative with you. It's almost like dreaming, where you're creating and inventing at the same time, I think was that one quote from the movie. That's a really beautiful thought. Yeah. But at the same time, I honestly don't hate metagaming. Like, for example, for for one of the games I play, one of the guys has terrible memory. Like, even if he takes notes... The player? Yeah, the player. Okay, just checking. (laughs) Yeah, so he has, like, terrible memory about, like, proper names and things. Like, he would be okay, like... If we played regularly, like, every week, whatever, he might have a better chance. But going back on something that, yes, it's only been, you know, four days in-game, or, or, you know, in-game time, but it's been three months since we discussed, you know, a drow that we spoke to. (laughs) It's like, he's like, I know we spoke to a drow. I know it was in this city. I can't remember his name. You know, like, things like that. So then, of course, we kind of have to backtrack and go, okay, it was this guy. And he's like, yes. That's the guy I'm thinking of, you know? So, like, that's, like, a level of metagame that I'm completely fine with because people forget we're all humans. And since this doesn't take place in actual time, it's really hard to remember stuff. So that's something I actually agree with you with. I'm actually okay with that. Tony, you're much more extreme. You, You, I would say, not in a bad way, I agree with what you decided, which was, I think, if you don't take notes and you don't remember a name... 
that's on you. <laughs> I have on multiple occasions given you guys, reminded you of information that you had that you hadn't actually discussed in months of real world time. Mm-hmm. That's true. And you've let us make intelligence checks to get hints, To try and basically. remember. Like, if yeah. you roll a high enough intelligence check, okay, you as a player might not remember, but look, your character does because they rolled a 22 on their intelligence check to try and remember to bring back the hand from the Surf Neblin that they found. Yeah. Do you know, I think you just touched on the, the, the core of what the role playing is about, and that is the fact that you are playing a character. Mm-hmm. I really enjoyed having an instance where you had me roll to remember something that I think Darren Dill had said early, oh early, early on in the beginning of the campaign. Yeah. So like really, really, early, early on. He had made a comment that he had been in this particular area and he had said a name. And you actually remembered something. You knew there was something. So because of that, because you had kind of started to trigger things, you're like, okay, I, as you start to make certain comments, I will tell you, okay, go ahead and roll an intelligence check as you're tr- you realize there is something you're forgetting. Yeah, but to have but to have you remind me, because it's been how many, six months since we started playing your game? Uh, it's been almost a year. We started December of yeah. last year. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, so it's been nearly a year. I, I, I physically cannot remember that. Mm-hmm. It's just gone. But you had a note there. You know the story. And so giving my, my character the ability to make an intelligence check to remember that is brilliant. And I really, really appreciate that. It was it wasn't even something I had to ask for of oh do I remember this name or do I remember anything about this? Yeah. Um being prompted like that. And and it kind of brings into the into the conversation a little bit more about your characters are these imaginary people you're playing outside of you, and it is for the purpose of fun and of escapism and of getting into a different world that maybe you're really good at things that you normally aren't in the real world. Mm-hmm. I remember that we had a, a player who played um I think it was a bard in another game. And bards are, are generally very charismatic. That's what their class is built on. And this person is just not a charismatic person. And we had an issue where he was supposed to role play that out and dialogue what his role was. Because I think he rolled a nat 20. He was very impressed with himself. It was all very happy. It was excellent. Mm-hmm. But to give the real world player a penalty for not being able to do that real world function just goes against everything that the game is about. It's not about that. It's about the fact that you can be a bard when you're not intelligible, or you can be a, a very skilled wizard when you're not really smart. And that adds to the experience. I would add as a caveat, they can still like contribute to describing what happened and do it descriptively if they're not comfortable role-playing that it is out. True. Yeah. I think that way they're still participating, because otherwise if someone just says, I play a song every time that they, they do a... a you know, a bit of bardic a inspiration. It's a little... Right. It's not participating in the world, but if they say, well, I play this song and it, it's in this style, and, you know, really give it... Mm-hmm. Give give some care to what they're doing. Or I give a story and I, and I talk about these particular things and I do it with flourish and rather than actually just say it. Um, right, can, right. I think is is perfectly fine. Yeah. yeah. In, yeah. in my game, we tend to... Uh, lean heavily on the side of, of role-playing things rather than describing them. Um, but that's just a matter of, of style. It's not necessary to do it that way. I think the group just interacts better that way for this particular group. I think it flows yeah. better, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Well, because yeah, and I would say that it's important to remember the difference between role playing and the difference between acting. Mm-hmm. And role playing is that idea that your character would do what they would do, like when Uthal attacked the the what was it, black pudding? Yeah. Yeah. So let's go ahead and explain that one really quickly, because yeah. um, that's an excellent example. It, it's the the anti meta game. <laughs> so I know the monster manual pretty pretty well, um, and Uthal <laughs> really? had recently crafted haha uh, a silvered <laughs> long sword. He was so proud. So, so happy about this. So proud of this longsword. But we got into a particular aspect of this temple, and from the stone, a black pudding appeared. I really didn't want to attack it. I really, really didn't, but that was me, Tony, because I knew that as soon as I hit it, that longsword would be uh, ruined, essentially. <laughs> it would be damaged. Because of, the, because of the acid. But, Uthal... Does not try and, like, figure out his enemies and think things through and find out what they are and what they can do. If his, if people around him are in danger, he attacks it, and that's it. So I did that, and took the damage to my sword, and as soon as I realized it was damaging the sword, then I switched tactics, and that was fine. Yeah, and, and I, I gave you inspiration for that, because I wanted to reward you for, for resisting the urge to take advantage of knowledge you have that the other players didn't necessarily have. Because basically, if, if Uthal was like, well, I'm going to stay back, guys, and, and shoot with my bow from the door, then some of your, you know, squishier party members would have, have been in, would have been in danger, which would have, I think that's when metagaming would be, is, is bad, because it, it punishes people who haven't either had the time to invest in studying everything or who, you know, are playing the way they should. So I was, I was very proud of you. Thank you. Well, and it's just like the little kid on the playground who, you know, when you're, when you're, playing as children and they're like oh i dodged the bullet <laughs> yeah I, I just dodge it it's like you, you your character doesn't know what that is <laughs> even if you've studied the book front to back like you need to act like your character would yeah to to be fair i to sort of prevent this from being a pain point i don't want you guys to always feel like well our characters don't know anything i i do give you opportunities to make checks to gain information and since there are so many of you well not there's five players but Odds are someone is going to make that check and get yeah. that information and then they can share it in, in character with the rest of the party and be like, oh, you know what? I read this one time or I was in a tavern and I heard about this this ability that black puddings have or something like that. Or yeah. maybe you know someone that fought one. or yeah, These are all things that can work with, with intelligence checks and that's why I feel like intelligence checks can be really useful as a tool for a DM to get the players as their characters to know something, whether they as players know it or not. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. To make it more fair. But against that though, is like the guy's character is a pretty smart character. I mean, he's mm-hmm. not like astoundingly smart, but he's been playing the same character for five years. Oh, but in game, it's only been a matter of months. So putting that in perspective is like, yeah, he's trying to remember somebody he just spoke to two months ago in game, but it was four years ago that they actually spoke to the character. That can be rough. If he were to botch an intelligence check for that, it'd be like, nope, you don't remember anything, even though you just spoke to him like three days ago. Even though you guys just spoke about him like last session. And he's like, I took notes. And he's like, you can hear him like shuffling through notes, going like flipping and they're like, can we just tell him, Jason? And he's like, yeah, you can tell him. <laughs> maybe like, I, maybe I'm mean, because I would just say, maybe you need to take better notes. <laughs> I, I'm sorry. But I uh, take notes, and I still can't remember. Yeah, I can't remember everything. But if I don't think no, you have to remember. Happens. I don't think you have to remember the names for everything. I think if you remember the general information, why do you need the name? I guess in that instance, right? Well, dep- like if we're having um, like a meeting with like dignitaries, and they're like, well, who gave you this information or something? And you're just like, 
Uh, it was a person. It was, I know it was, yeah. it was a drow. It was a drow lady. We met him in the city. We had dinner with them. They fed us chicken. I can remember every detail <laughs> except her name. name. She had green boots. She had a white shirt. Like, <laughs> yeah. And you're just like, I, I can't remember her name. Because yeah. in fairness, many D&D names suck. They are like I, unpronounceable uh, or unreadable or unwritable. <laughs> yeah. I will say having <laughs> gone through most of the book for Princes of the Apocalypse, there's a disproportionate number of R's in the names. Like every name yeah. has like three R's in it somewhere. And you guys are like, I'm sorry, what? Um, what is this name? I'm like, okay, let me just spell it out for you guys. I'm sorry. I didn't make it. I'm just the messenger of this terrible combination of vowels and consonants. <laughs> but you want us to remember it six months ago. I need to bring in the comment of Koatoa names. Oh, yeah. Uh. Like Plubluprin and Klibdelugat. And Blotaplan. And Blotaplan. Did I remember that one right? <laughs> and Shushar. Shushar wasn't too bad by comparison. Shushar was the easiest one. Yeah. Uh, but then you have names like Tappy Foam Finger. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> no. These are all names from Out of the Abyss, by the way. Yeah, the the names of Out of the Abyss are are intense. Um, and, and I think Tony's not saying that he never will will help people out. It's just I think you institute that rule, Tony, when we had a player who was never paying attention to the names. I wound up doing it because of the fact that a lot of times he would do, oh, and it was um this person, and I was like, you just spoke to them literally real world time five minutes ago. <laughs> yeah. And spoke to them for a while. So, no, no, give me the name. <laughs> You're not taking... He, like, never took any notes. And that was the part that bothered me. He always would comment on, you know, oh, well, I don't remember, I don't remember. Like, yeah, but you don't take notes either. Like, you can literally just write the name and a quick thing on them. Yeah, mm -hmm. so I'd say it's different when a, when a player is making the effort and doing everything they can, like what you're saying, Rachel, where there's just so much information, it's hard to keep track of it all. Yeah. And if it were me, yeah, I would I would actually probably say, like, okay, it was so-and-so. Mm -hmm. Well, especially when, because I feel like we're having almost two different kinds of conversations, especially when sometimes there's very little information to write down, go to the place, kill the guy, take his head, bring it back, get some gold. Mm -hmm. And other times there's, like, 15 names, and you're trying to, like, sort out who's in a relationship with whom, and how is this sub plot happening with the subterfuge yeah. of something else and you're, and you're like holy crap you mean like and like it sneaks up like on drown you. is this guy and then there's this oh my other god yeah. you guys Scott Kong, Scott Kong. yeah uh -huh. so, uh -huh. story is uh -huh. stone bones so yeah brief. And, and that stuff can get you quick okay hold on you have to at least explain what that's in reference to i don't want to give too much the way of spoilers but this is from storm king's thunder they had the opportunity to uh ask an omniscient being for information to figure out what was going on in this area they were in and those are all names that are referencing that but they were just given answers that they did not have any context for or any information so basically they got to the whiteboard and started writing down all these facts that they were acquiring and then tried to draw connections between them until they could figure out what was going on which you guys did I was really proud of you. You got all the information and you figured it all out. But there was a moment where you guys are like, what is this? <laughs> Who is this person? Because with D&D, sometimes th th these massive like plot dumps mm -hmm. can just happen and you're not quite prepared, whereas sometimes simplistic notes are good enough to get by. It really varies. And then the, the other part I was going to bring up was the fact that we're almost having two different conversations. The, the metagame 
is a separate issue from, I would say, like note taking and how your players mm-hmm. and what you expect of your players. Like, I think it, a really good practice and something that you did, Bethany, as a DM was when we came in is saying, hey, here's of my expectations of what this game is going to be like. I'm going to be a rule Nazi. This is the way that I want to play. And you just kind of, you just said it. Yeah. Yeah. Because I didn't want it to be three months later and someone to say, wow, you're really like hard on, hard on people when it comes to following the rules and expecting people to like always have their character sheets updated. I'm like, no, because I, I felt like let's get all that stuff right and then we can have fun playing the game because I see fun as a structured activity. That's just my view on life. Let's have fun in a controlled in way in a way we expect. And I think it's working. Like I think you guys have become a really great party. You work really well together. So I don't regret that, but I didn't want anyone to feel like it was a bait and switch because I know some DMs are totally different. Yeah. Like I know Rachel is much more um I guess lax. Yeah, yeah. I was I was going to say yeah, lax I guess is true. Not that you're like not prepared and everything. You still have the same level of preparation and yeah. and all that sort of stuff, but you've been a little more open with like just sort of figure stuff out whereas I'm like, okay, let's do the thing. Let's yeah. make the checks. And to be fair, you guys really love making checks. Like We do. Tony and I were talking yeah. about this. I allow criticals critical successes on checks, which is not actually a uh rule from the book. You can only really critically succeed on uh an attack roll but i think those are the crits you guys are more excited about than the damage ones (laughs) you're like we (laughs) just criticaled on our nature check she must tell us everything (laughs) 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 well not literally everything but that means you're going to get some really valuable information on the monster or the area or whatever's going on yeah we know everything (laughs) but basically but I think I think that's important coming in too to to be able to establish. Hey, I, I expect everyone to take notes, not crazy notes. We're not studying for an exam here, but please just jot down every once in a while what's happening, who you spoke to, what's going on here, and if players are having an issue remembering or something like that, then that just has to be addressed outside of metagaming entirely. Of just hey, here's this thing you do, um, don't do it, <laughs> don't do it. knock it off. No, I, I I did also say that I do believe in the power of the DM. Um, I definitely feel like at the end of the day, the DM can say because I said so, which I haven't quite had to say yet, but it's getting there. Points. Well, it's just like having pretend. I mean, it really is is just pretend yeah. play. And if you have any group of people who are doing pretend play, you're gonna have people who have different perspectives on it, and to have that have that conversation or have. And an, ex- an expectation or an understanding before there's issues is really a good thing because that can even cut down on metagaming in and of itself. Yeah, I would say that DMing sometimes reminds me of like being a parent at a kid's birthday party <laughs> where like you want the kids to have yeah, fun, yeah. but you don't want anyone breaking a leg because they climbed up a tree and jumped out of it. So, <laughs> but yeah, yeah. if you can fly, you can do it from the ground. Like you're like kids, you can have fun, you can have cake, not too much cake. We're gonna have fun in a controlled <laughs> way that doesn't end in tragedy or something ridiculous. Not that you guys are children. I'm sorry. That seems like a really mean parallel. <laughs> but I don't know what you're talking about. Role where I'm invested in you guys having a good time because when you have a good time, I have a good time. But at the same time, I'm not like, free reign, <laughs> run rampant over my story, <laughs> or yeah. the game. Except for collecting goats. <laughs> well, and, and that's the thing where I'm like, apparently I've been too permissible as a parent. You're like, can we keep it? <laughs> okay, okay, sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Get back to the base. And um, the orphans. So yes, yeah, so this is a little bit of a separate. I think 
your philosophy on metagaming, if you're a DM, does tie into your philosophy on DMing. I think they're kind of connected. So I think that's sort of how this conversation has gone off in that direction, because um, I know different people deal with metagaming differently. I agree with that. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of, yeah. of how you see metagaming will, will show in how you would be a DM. Uh, and the biggest thing for me, and, and you touched on this earlier, Bethany, was that honestly metagaming for me, the biggest problem I tend to have with it is during combat. And one of the major reasons um, it for me is it will slow down combat for one thing. And for another, I want combat in game to feel like how combat would be, which you're making decisions rather quickly. So you as a player would need to make the decision rather quickly. And if you're constantly planning with everybody else, well, I'm going to do this. So why don't you go do that right afterwards? It just slows down the game. And honestly, when the players are all working together like that, the DM's not going to win. Yeah. Well, yeah. And at that point, you're almost working like a hive mind. And while there's some expectation of, oh, I know he can do Thunderbolt. So let me make it easy to line up this shot for him. It shouldn't be something that's outwardly discussed. No, but doing typically. what you said is a little bit different. It's like, oh, well, I know that he has thunder, uh, he has a lightning bolt. Just in case he wants to use it, let me angle this way instead. Exactly, exactly. And that's, well, that would be fine. But like you, like you said, having that conversation of I'll line him up and then you thunderbolt him outside of combat, that just, that's, that's metagaming. I will add that, uh, that, I allowed you guys to say something quickly while you're, uh, while you're in combat. Since you have a six second turn while you're doing your tech, you can, you can say something really quick. And you guys do sometimes use that to say, you know, move back, get behind him, stuff like that, really quick sort of commands, cause that, or not commands, or requests. But you <laughs> could do that in character. Of course, the understanding is that the enemies hear that too. Well, one of the times that actually came into play is during one of the fights in your campaign, Bethany, where a shadow demon kept popping in and out of the room. So during my turn, I literally said, okay, I yell at everyone, huddle together. That way, wherever he pops up, he's going to be near someone else so we could potentially get opportunity attacks on him. And we just readied actions from there. Well, I don't think you said so we can get mm-hmm. opportunity attacks because that's a game mechanic. But. No, no. I, I was saying like all I, t- I yelled out was huddle together, get close yeah. yeah, so that we could do for the potential for stuff like that to happen. And it wasn't like I explained to everyone why during the time. It was just we should do this. And everyone seemed to understand. So we all just did it. Yeah. And wound up working out. I was going to say narratively, too, that we would all respect your character enough to know that you you've had that kind of training, military training. And so we would just kind of, you know, confer to that, yeah. you know. And so there's some there's some degree of like would it make sense for a character to listen to this person or to ignore this person? Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I definitely I agree. agree. And I and I and it worked really well, by the way. You completely destroyed him that next round because <laughs> there was nothing he could do differently. And everyone was ready for what he was going to do because he pops up, attacks, and pops away. So of course, everyone knowing that that was going to be what he would do next, even if he hit one of us, we could hit him pretty hard. Smash. Yeah. Right. So, uh, I know, Rachel, you put in here kind of the question of how much do we allow versus not allowing? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think you're, you're a little more open for them to like sort of do some coordination in combat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because especially if you're playing, for one, uh, I think it does affect it when you're playing remotely versus face to face. Um, because you can't, you can see the tokens on the board, but you can't kind of see what people are thinking. Okay, for example, my character, you know, I can misty step and stuff. So sometimes people might see me, like, reaching over, like, doing the little count-out thing where I'm, like, counting, like, 30 squares, like, for movement. You can't see any of that when other people are playing remotely. So you well, can't gauge. No, like, 
depending well, on no, the saying, settings. But, but that but that is a meta game too. That you're... is, but not. I don't know. To me, it's not because it is so like you can see where the openings are, like from the player's perspective as the character's perspective. Because if the party's been together long enough, they're going to know like okay, this person tends to go melee. And they tend to do this, that, and the other. You know, you know they're kind of like basic skill set, so to speak. Mm-hmm. So you're like, okay, well, I know they're probably going to rush in there, so I'm going to count over because I'm probably going to be going over here. And it's, I don't know, to me that's like a different different aspect because I, I can like watch and go like, okay, it looks like Nick is, you know, maybe getting ready to do a fireball or something. <laughs> Nick Great. is always getting ready to do yeah. a fireball. <laughs> He's like gathering up all his dice <laughs> over there in the corner. Like, oh, here we go. Everybody's gonna die. He's getting ready to do a fireball. Like, always expect fireball. Yeah. Well, that's, and that's precisely the issue is, is that I think any degree of metagaming is impossible. It's just what's your tolerance level. And, and I think the best tolerance level in the most general sense possible is the one that everyone seems to have the most fun with. If you're limiting your players or if your players are limiting each other in terms of what they can and can't do in terms of metagaming to the point where everyone's just not having fun, what's the point? Yeah. And that's another thing you discuss kind of at the beginning of a campaign uh, is that, you know, this is what I expect. Yeah. yeah. And I will say yeah. also as the character's level, I-, I would say I have less tolerance for it because your-, your characters know each other. You guys as players know each other. Mm-hmm. So you don't really need an edge to coordinate your combat because you know he's gonna lob a fireball yeah. as soon as enemies are gathered together. Every time <laughs> you look over, gets... you're like, oh, there's, there's a four. bundle of enemies. <laughs> okay, let's do that. Everybody, step back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but we all, yeah. as characters and yeah. as players, would figure he would do that, just like we could figure that uh, your character Rachel would misty step if she can't get into the action otherwise. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so. I, I'd say I definitely allowed it more early on when you guys were lower level where you were still trying to figure out, like, how do I play my character? Yeah. <laughs> and then in conjunction with other people's characters, because I, I know that can be a struggle, especially if it's a class you haven't played before. Yeah, the other thing, too, is, um, P- okay, so I know most of us at your table have, like, we have a really good grasp of what our skills do, what our abilities yes. do, spells do, and all that. So I think a big part of that has to do with us having leveled to that point. Yeah, but yeah. even when we get new stuff, I'm saying. Like, there's yeah. always, like, one or two spells you're going to get, and you're like, I don't understand the wording quite that great on this, and maybe you don't use it or whatever. But, like, I've played with people who, no matter how many times they read the stuff, they still don't understand how their powers work. And I'm like, you realize when you set that off, it does this much range. Just a warning, because I've told you this before, you know? And it's like, oh, Ooh. oh, oh, it's like twice the size. I'm like, yes, yes, that is... That is diameter. The, the di- or that's the radius, not the diameter. Or something, you know, something like that. You're so much mm-hmm. nicer to me. I'd be like, I told you once. Good luck out there. <laughs> I'm not an that's evil true. GM. See, I'll, <laughs> I'll give, evil, I'll give like two just, warnings. Yeah, I'd say. Well, especially if it's a new player, I'd say that's one thing. If it's someone who's been playing the game for years and they've been playing this character for like a year, you're like. You don't know how big your spell is. Well, if it's a new player, or for me, if it's a brand new spell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But if it's that's a little different. If it's fireball and they've lobbed a fireball every session, I'd be like. And all of a sudden they realize, oh wait, all my ally- like three of my allies <laughs> are in the range of it. It's like you've been throwing fireballs for the past like three yeah. Hours. No. Well, that's that's different. I'm saying when they get like a newer spell that they've done, or maybe it's a spell that they've had since level one, but they've only used it once. And now they're level five, and they're like, oh, I haven't used this spell in a while. I think maybe it's like, please reread that. 
Just double check it. You know, like, like it's one of those things where I'll just kind of be like, you should just, just please reread that, you know, and that goes oh. into what you're at right now with the retracting actions. Like, yeah. So I was thinking about it. I'm like, no, I don't think I'd warn them. I wouldn't. Oh, am I evil or am I just like a harsh parent at a child's birthday party? <laughs> Rule Nazi. <laughs> I think one of the tough things, especially when it comes to spells, is that there's not a really good example of real life yeah. spellcasting. <laughs> and, and I know that's like sort of obvious, but it's like if I'm going to be doing some kind of athletic thing or or juggling or or whatever tossing it may coins. be, yeah, or, t- or, t- or tossing <laughs> coins, then I know what my abilities are and what they aren't. Especially if I've done it a couple of times, it's not something you can forget. Yeah. It's muscle memory. Um, I can still hop on a bike now, even though I haven't ridden one in six months, just because it's built into my psyche now. It's just there. And so with those kinds of things, you have an expectation that the character would be able to have that sort of muscle memory or that expectation of what the spell is going to do, even if the player forgets, oh, right, it's, you know, diameter, not radius, and, ah, crap, like half my party's in the zone, or, oh, this one's a cone, not a line, stuff like that, yeah. where you can just forget. So to uh, counter that a little bit, heat of battle, might not pay attention to that as much. Yeah, because... You might, you might the, the not realize it. Oh, they're in range. Right, the character can't uh, measure the distance. Yeah. This is true, too, and I think that, that Tony, you brought... Uh, there was this one time where I cast, what was it, the Dimension Door? Yes. Essentially, mm-hmm. through the cloak, and you had me... Um, you asked me how, where do I, what direction far. I want to go. <laughs> and you're like, and how far? Over there? And I couldn't really look at them. And I, at the time, I couldn't really look at the map. It was like, no, no, no. <laughs> look up here. How far do you want to go? And what direction? I remember it's because you wanted to be in a very specific spot because you didn't actually know where you were teleporting to. Right. There's nothing wrong with that. And I thought it was interesting and different. It's not something I've ever done before. I think in older editions, maybe um, the spell worked a little differently, too. You know what? I remember what it was. You couldn't see. Yeah. So you knew, okay, roughly this far away is what it is, so I will do 10 additional feet past that. And you wound up being fine. You ended up where you wanted yeah, to be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, I did. You made good choices. But it, but it was one of those things where usually if a player... In, 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 in my own, it can right. be for what I've played, but usually if we ever did some sort of a dimension door, we would just, oh, I, I teleport to this location right over here. And then maybe because the spell was written differently or whatnot, but having it done in that way is just different, not mm-hmm. necessarily bad or good. And I think that it's, um, it definitely cuts back, I think, a little bit on metagaming, but if that's not how your players want to play, then, then that conversation yeah, has to be you, had too, and that's different. <laughs> But I thought it was a really, really cool technique, and I think in the middle of the battle, it was really nifty. Yeah, and then when you got to the right spot, you felt really good about You're it. You're like, okay, I'm actually exactly where I wanted to be. Cool. <laughs> I really thought I overshot that by like 20, 30 like, feet, oh, no. but no. Oh, no. You were saying the right number, but you kept second-guessing yourself. Yeah. yeah. Well, one other thing about that, too, though, is um, if they use a spell, like let's say it's one that they have a range attack on, and they've never hit with it also. It might be one of those things where it's like it only has an effect after it hits. Okay, so they've tried it and they've never actually, like, hit this. Like, because Karen's thrown a few spells that it's just like she'll try it and she, like, never hits with them. So she just stopped using them. But if she were one day to do it, she might be like, I don't remember how this works because I've never been successful. And that would be the same in character as it would be for the player in that case. Except that why does she know it then? Like, why does she know it actually should work? Because she's a sorcerer and it's an eight. (laughs) 
See, but that's yeah. just, that's just so weird, though. It's like there's no good comparisons of that. It's like if, if it's an innate ability, it's almost like um, oh, there's there, oh, what what would be a good example of innate ability? I don't even know. Drawing, um, pooping. No, not, that's not an ability. <laughs> that's a that's a function. That's a function. <laughs> that is a function. That's one of the five Walking. necessary functions for life, I believe. But drawing, drawing is a good example where some people can. I mean, obviously, it's it's something you can practice. It's sort of a a skill that like can be wizard. honed, but it definitely is more innate. And I don't know. I, yeah, I guess it it really does come down to opinion, and that's kind of the. I guess that's the reason we're having this episode is because the book just doesn't <laughs> yeah. give you anything on that. Now, be nice to people, but but then Don't punish them. Good but luck out there. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> I don't like the idea of punishing <sighs> characters for metagaming. I will say that I'd I'd like to I like the idea of curbing metagaming and calling it out when it's happening and it's gone too far. But I don't like the idea of saying like, well, my players took advantage of uh, their their player knowledge on a creature, so I'm going to get back at them later. Because I think that's just being a bad DM. Yeah. Well, it's just passive-aggressive. Exactly. Yeah. It's But that's what a lot of people do. I think that's why many people consider the best way to deal with it, rather than talking to the player, who is the one it's coming from, not the character. Because if you're punishing them in-game, you're punishing the character. Which doesn't make sense. Which would right. be metagaming, because... Right. Yes, exactly. <laughs> well, in a sense, though, DMs can't yeah. metagame because we always metagame. Because you are the metagame. <laughs> because you are the game. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there is no outside of it. It's all game. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, so I, I think mm. that's that's kind of my stance on it. And I think sometimes people metagame because they don't trust their DM, to be honest. Like, I, I know, like, sometimes you guys have been like, I don't like this guy. They seem to be too nice. But that's... You as players and your characters, because every time somebody turns out to be too nice, except Grendo, they turn evil. Um, yeah, we we incite well, Grendo up and down before like bringing him with us too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I I don't think that you guys assume that I as a DM am out to torment you. Like I like to challenge you. No. So there was a there was a, a comment that was made a while back that I liked where. I feel it's the DM's job to make the players heroes in game. And that's something I think that just real, that not everybody kind of realizes. It's not a discussion. Not all DMs will do this. And I think that is part of the problem too. But the whole point of playing this game is the, the characters themselves at some point or another will kind of become heroes for, for whatever reason based off of the story. And I think the DM is supposed to help them along the way to that. Even if, you know, a, a character dies or something along those lines. But it's all in this process of making these characters heroes. And if the players don't realize, like, no, 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 the DM's not out to get you. They're trying to make you awesome. And in order to make you awesome, tough things will have to be thrown at you. Um, and I think that's a misconception. Yeah, this is the idea of, of tempering players without breaking yeah. them. Yeah, exactly. Um, cause I definitely mm-hmm. want you guys, like, I love the sessions where you guys are like, we're amazing at the end because you killed a dragon turtle. Like, I'm not there because I'm like, man, I really want this dragon turtle to win. Like, that's not a thing for me. <laughs> if it was, the dragon yeah. turtle would win because I'm the DM. I don't, I don't like that perspective that DMs are there to like beat the players. And I know there are DMs who are like that, but 
I don't think it's fun for anyone except the DM in those moments where they're like, ha ha, ha <laughs> I got you. Yeah, I won because I control the game. How is that a winning thing? It's yeah. like beating a child at a game and being like, ha ha, I know how to play chess and you don't. That's the thing. If the DM <laughs> wants to win, the DM will win. Yeah. But at that point, it's not even winning because really the world, I mean, the idea of game is the idea of yeah. boundaries and limits and, and overcoming obstacles. But those obstacles become meaningless if the boundaries and world don't have right. enough structure to give it play. And that's partly why I believe in rules, because I want you guys to feel like I'm I'm playing by the same rules you are. I'm not fudging roles or making yeah. up just everything on the fly or making up new rules because then then that's i'm cheating basically <laughs> well i want it to be like right we're right. in this together <laughs> we're we're might be on different sides when it comes to playing combat but we're building the story together so i'm sorry this kind of got yeah. off onto like philosophy on dming but i feel like th- they're so connected i think that's yeah, i think that's good though well i think it's i think it's connected because of the fact that the view on metagaming is pretty varied mm-hmm yeah. So I'm sorry. You mentioned this earlier, Rachel, and we didn't go. We ended up going off on a crazy tangent, but uh, retracting actions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like when if a character says they're going to do something and then it, even if it's not in combat, even if it's out of combat, like they're like, OK, I think I'm going to build this or I'm going to do that, blah, blah, blah. And they get all the way through it. You know, they they go through this whole elaborate plan and they work it out and it could be one player or multiple players. And then you realize that the whole thing that they've worked out is based on, like, I don't know, like the gap being 20 feet when in actuality the gap is 40 feet. <laughs> and you're like, that's not going to work. It's like, how, 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 what point do you stop them and go, hey, guys, guys, I see what you're saying. Let me stop you right there before you spend 30 more minutes arguing about this. The pit is 40 feet wide, not 20. <laughs> I'd say I, I wouldn't correct them if... If the plan is just a bad plan, if it's based on flawed information, different story. Yeah, yeah. like like what you're saying, where the pit, where the gap is is 30 feet wide. Like when in my recent session, when you guys were trying to figure out how to get across this gap with the gorgon mud and all that. Oh, your plan was good, by the way. It wasn't a bad plan. But if it had been a bad plan, but you were operating under the correct information, I'd be like, okay, you do you and that guys. Makes sense. <laughs> okay, yeah. <laughs> But I, I definitely agree that if the the player, if there's some sort of, or there was a miscommunication or something wasn't clear to them, because I know I've done that where I was like, I'm so sorry, I did not make this clear enough, or there was a misunderstanding. I don't want you guys going down the rabbit hole with this false yeah. information. False information, yeah. And when I didn't say was, anything about a bad plan or a dumb plan. Like that, I yeah, like yeah, Like, yeah. okay, Those you guys want to do this? Okay, let me figure out what checks that's going to be. But, because <laughs> there yeah. have been those where I'm just like, what yeah. are you doing? What? I don't even know what that would be. Yeah. <laughs> like, let me check the book to figure out how this would work. I, I think um, that's a performance check. <laughs> yeah. When in doubt. Like when you guys were lower levels, I gave you a little more, some guidance every so often. If you guys were a little like unsure how mechanics worked, especially when some people were newer, at least to fifth edition. Yeah. Um. Like, wait, but how would I do this? Like, I understand maybe I could make a check, but I want like grapple describe, checks. Yeah, grapple checks. Yeah, describe if you describe to me what it is you want to do, I can describe to you how to get there, basically. Yeah. Within the mechanics of the game. <laughs> now, nowadays, you guys don't really need that. Like, 
you're pretty clear. Like, <laughs> like last that last session when you're like, oh, there's the um the piercers on the ceiling that are raining from above. Can we use our shields as umbrellas? <laughs> Shield umbrellas. <laughs> Shield umbrellas. I'm like. I don't see why not. I mean, you just need to mechanically make sure you have a free hand, hold your shield up, and that'll give you some protection. So that yep. was a good plan. Um, Tony has yeah. sort of uh, the whole retracting actions thing, a different situation with a player in his game. Well, one of the big things was saying things in character, saying things out of character. And a lot of times, we have a rule, um, if you are saying something out of character, you cross your fingers. And like, just hold him up to say, like, this is out of character. Or you actually say, out of character, I yeah. want to go punch him in the face. Yeah. Or, uh, question for the DM. <laughs> yeah. Can I go punch him in the face? But a lot of times he'd go like, it's like, I, I go rifle through the drawers. Like, no, no, I didn't actually do it. I just, I just said that. There's I just no said I did it. it. <laughs> I just said I did this. Or I was like, wow, yeah, we killed your, your friend. No, no, I'm not saying that in character. And of course, he knew the rules. He knew everything like that. And, after the first couple times, I'm like, I let it go, but I did eventually warn, if you say something and don't indicate it is out of character, the NPCs are going to take it as you said it. Yeah, I'd say that's in my game, unless you are you indicate it's out of character, it's in character, which I think is good, because then that means most of you, most of your interactions as a group are in character, mm-hmm. which I think is, is more fun that way. Yeah, but... You get more involved in the story, I feel. Yeah. But I'm playing virtual, and I can't see right. everybody. So that's really hard when it's yeah. like... Yeah, so that's a little different. So how, how do you handle that? Um, most of the time, they're really good about saying, okay, question for you, DM. Or mm-hmm. um, it, it's it, most of the talking is either done in character, or they preface it with something like, uh, you know, sibling says, blah, 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 exposition dump, whatever. <laughs> so, you know, they they do that, um, but usually when it is out of t- character, they will say, okay, I have a question for you, or um, or they'll say, player Rachel doesn't know, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> so, and then we, you know, off track, everybody hops out of character, so to speak, for a few seconds. Yeah, that makes sense. But it is it is a lot more tricky because you do have to be very careful because I like when we first played the few sessions two people are using cameras so I can see them but three people aren't so I can't see them and it'd be like yeah well I'm gonna do this I'm like oh are you now and they're like wait no I want to I'm like well are, are you doing it yes or no you have you have one chance to say yes or no and then that's it's happening or not and they're like no I'm not doing it I'm like, okay, okay. From now on, make sure you say, like, if you're not, if you're just saying you really want to do it, just say, man, Rachel would like to do this, but my character's not going to. (laughs) I can't see you. So I can't tell if you're like, you got like the wink going on or anything. And they're like, oh yeah. Ha ha ha. Yeah. I think that's the problem when, when players are like, I am hilarious. No, wait, my character's not. No, I'm so sorry. It's not funny. I take it all back. Please, please, <laughs> yeah. please, no, no. <laughs> Pretty much. 